Right, so if you need an outline, you'd like to follow along with us. Brother Jeremy's making his way down the middle aisle. We'd love for you to follow along as we delve back into Romans chapter number 10 here. Every time as we begin studying, or I begin studying for Wednesday night, I... Uh, uh, last week I was playing on, hey, we're going to finish up Romans chapter 10 next week. And I got studying this week. There's no way. And uh, too many verses ahead and so many good things come out of these verses. We'll see that tonight. And so uh, I'm excited about getting into it. And uh, I'm excited about what the Lord has for us. Let's begin. We'll kind of review. You see there on your outline. We'll see up here above behind me. Notice it if you will. Uh, first of all, we've seen these Roman numerals. I left them blank there in your outline. And I don't think I have any, am I not any good, Dave, going away from it? Okay. Fantastic. You know what? Uh, let's switch to number seven, the wireless there, the, the backup. See if this works. And uh, we'll go. But you see there on your outline, as I'm switching around here, number one, room number one, we saw in verses nine and ten, and uh, uh, we saw the person of salvation. And then in Roman number 20, the people of salvation. Roman number three, we saw the presentation of salvation. We talked how uh, Paul here exposes man's greatest need. This was last week. Man's greatest need being salvation. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save those which are lost. And so, uh, Brother Dave, this is wireless number seven. Wireless number seven, um, the backup there. Thank you, my friend. All right. Then we saw this as part of that Roman number, number three, the presentation of the uh, of salvation. This reality, we saw the scope all here from verse number 13. A great verse, isn't it? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the scope is whosoever, the simplicity we looked at last week, call upon the name of the Lord, the substance, the reality of being saved, saved to heaven and to God, a relationship, an eternal relationship with him, being saved from heaven hell. Great truth there. Then we looked and talked about this reality in verse number 14, the propagation of, of salvation. And uh, it pre- presents to us that pra- progression. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? And how sh- shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher. And uh, we saw that Paul identified that calling upon the Lord is the obvious and natural expression of believing in and trusting the Lord. We're going to expound upon that a little bit tonight because Paul hits on it in this passage here, and he, he gives us a little bit more, shall I say, meat to the skeleton of what it means to believe. And I think it's crucial and poignant as he deals with Israel. So we'll get to that in just a little bit later. But let's look at verse number 15. We'll delve into tonight, Roman number 5, verse number 15. And how shall they preach? except they be sent. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, that bring glad tidings of good things. Now that statement right off the bat, uh, for a Jew, I think it would have very much have been a slap in the face. It would have been like, Paul, why are you quoting that? Why are you bringing that up here? Why are you making that statement? Because he quotes a couple of Old Testament verses, or at least there's two verses that, that, have, that have similar wording. We'll look at them here in a moment. And here he is, he's talking about the gospel of peace. He's talking about glad tidings and, and uh, good things, and he's talking about how beautiful are the feet of them that bring those tidings. And boy, those Jews immediately would have felt kind of like, ah, Paul, why are you slapping us in the face? Well, you say, how does he do that? 
Well, once again, Paul shows his robust knowledge of the Old Testament. Being someone who studied the Old Testament, the law, he knew it inside and out. And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 52, right before what we call the Messianic chapter in Isaiah 53. So let's look there, Isaiah 52. Keep your spot here, if you will. We won't look to a lot of passages, but I'd like for you to see this one. Isaiah chapter 52, we'll look at verse 7. We'll read down through verse number 10. Isaiah 52, verse 7. Verse 7 is the one that he quotes quotes there in verse 15 that we just read in Romans chapter 10. So let's see what he's looking at, what he's referring to. Verse 7, Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings and publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Verse 8, Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, with the voice together shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth into joy, sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God certainly this would have had implications in Isaiah's prophecy to the soon restoration of some of those who had been dispersed, taken away, led into captivity. But there's a much bigger presentation here in this passage as we could readily see in reference to what Isaiah says. It is obviously a reference to the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ where the Messiah will reign. Well, Jesus Christ will reign and that in and of itself was good news for any Jew. When they looked ahead, they understood, you know what, we're going to be restored. Our our Messiah is going to rule in this millennial kingdom. That was good news, and it would have brought peace to Jerusalem, something Jerusalem didn't even know uh, almost in its entire existence. You think about it, before even Babylonian, the Persians came along, the fact was this, Jerusalem didn't even have peace among its own kings. I mean, you had poor you know, David and his own son trying to take it away from him. And so, I mean, they, Jerusalem just hasn't really known peace all along. And that promise of peace was good tidings, glad, glad tidings of good things to come. And so, as you think about it, that proclamation that the Messiah would rule in Zion or Jerusalem uh, would have been the greatest thing a Jew could hear. Well, the other reference is in Nahum chapter 1 and verse number 15. And here's the passage there. Uh, Nahum writes, Behold upon the mountain of the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. In that context, there's a, a good news being proclaimed that Israel was going to enjoy peace, deliverance from her enemy for a short time, and that was the deliverance from the Babylonians. And they had wreaked havoc in Israel. And, and so the fact is that, that this was a proclamation of deliverance from the enemies, of peace uh, there for Israel. Now, the point is this. Here's Paul. He, he kind of grabs those two verses. One of them, certainly Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, would have been readily on the memory and the thought of any Jew. And that statement and that declaration, and Paul says, okay, let's take that and let's apply it to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Now, can I I tell you, here's a Jew, he rejoices over that peace, those good tidings, uh, uh, good things and glad tidings. And now Paul says that is applicable to Jesus Christ coming. 
He is the Messiah. This is the gospel of peace. Forget about the proclamation of, of the Messiah ruling in the millennial kingdom. This is, what does gospel mean? The good news. This is the good news of peace. Here are the glad tidings that Jesus Christ has already come. The Messiah has already arrived. He has already paid for your sins. He has already uh, made way of redemption and deliverance. And so he, he makes and takes this notable statement. He applies it to this message that he is a preacher of. He's a preacher of peace and salvation that's found in Jesus Christ alone. The true good news of peace as the gospel means. And so this progression that he's laid out in these verses, the invitation that he's presented this entire letter, um, he, as a called preacher of the God of heaven, now shares the best news imaginable. Uh, the thing that is the greatest news about peace than anybody could ever ask for. And so what we see here, Roman numeral number five, is the reality of Paul speaks of the preacher of salvation. Uh, listen, I get to bring you good tidings, uh, or glad tidings of good things. And we could say, in a sense, that here he was, he's kind of uh, saying his own feet are beautiful. Because he gives us the last part of the, the progression. Notice it. How can they call if they haven't believed? How can they believe if they haven't heard? How can they hear it if there is no preacher? And here he adds this in verse number 15. How can a preacher go unless he is sent? And Paul is certainly, as we said, declaring the beauty of his own feet and, and very much, but he was a preacher himself sent by God. You want to find out about his commission, his calling, look at Acts chapter 13. We know that he was called of God, and very clearly, very obviously, to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Now, I would venture a guess, and I think certainly from his writings, we could say this. Paul understood, and he had talked and discussed enough with the disciples. And I don't know about you. It would have been neat. We sometimes separate them because of their locations in the Scriptures. But do you realize there were some times when the disciples got to sit down with Paul? Now, wouldn't that have been a great discussion? Wouldn't that have been a great uh, conversation to sit in on and listen to Paul question the disciples and the disciples talk with Paul and so forth? And, and certainly we know there are disagreements at times and things like that, but that would have been neat to see them all sit down and talk when they had opportunity to do so. And you can be assured that Paul would have talked with the disciples and he would have found out what Jesus Christ said to them as a group before he ascended to heaven. He would have heard those same words from the disciples that you and I read and that we see called the Great Commission. The call upon every believer, every follower, every disciple of Jesus Christ to preach the good news. To tell people that there is a Savior and that he died for them and they need to trust him and be baptized and grow in knowledge and understanding of who he is. You see, Paul would have understood this truth. He was a preacher of the good news. He was a preacher of salvation. He was the one who was able to bring good, uh, glad tidings of good things. But he also understood this. Every one of us as believers are called to do the same thing. Uh, certainly as he writes this, Paul has in mind this reality that he alone uh, was not the only one receiving the call of God to make these glad tidings of good things known to all. He understood that you and I are called to the same thing. And he'll go on, and we'll see it in this chapter as he finishes up chapter 10. The fact is this, he, he is going to express and explain to us there are many uh, means and methods by God how God reveals himself and how he points to himself and how he uh, makes people, as he wrote in chapter 1, that they are without excuse. But one of the points here that Paul is making is, listen, friend, you are a preacher. 
You are a proclaimer of the gospel. You have the opportunity to give, how does he put it? Glad tidings of good things. You see, as we read this progression, it is a great progression that we have here. How are they calling him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? You know, Paul's saying to this, listen, God has met every one of those needs. He has called preachers, proclaimers to go. He has called the children of God to go and share the gospel, to, uh, to have beautiful feet. You may have never thought you have beautiful feet, but I'll tell you, friend, if you share the gospel, you have beautiful feet. It isn't just a missionary halfway around the world. You here in Fostoria and the Thumb of Michigan have beautiful feet if you proclaim and you share the good tidings, the glad tidings of good things, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, introducing them. And that's really what Paul is challenging here. First of all, he's proclaiming himself. Listen, I've been a preacher of the gospel. I've been a preacher of the salvation to Israel. There's others around me, the disciples, and Jesus Christ himself have been the preacher of the gospel. And in a sense, he is thinking here of the challenge to you and I. Are we doing our part? Are we that preacher? Are we that proclaimer? Are we speaking the word of God, the gospel? Are we sharing it? Are we introducing people to Jesus Christ? Are we going and giving the glad tidings of, uh, of the gospel of peace? You know, there's some people that I have noticed, they enjoy sharing bad news. You know anybody like that? They just enjoy sharing. Boy, if there's bad news to share, they want to be the first to share it. You know, they, they want to make sure that they get it out there. They don't mind sharing bad news. Can I tell you the reality is this? Paul says, man, we, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news. We don't say how beautiful are the feet of those that bring bad news. No, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring glad tidings of good things. And Paul's saying, what a privilege we have. You and I have a privilege to be part of the progression of salvation. Because what does he say? You know, there's some people that, that will not have the opportunity to put their, their, let me back up, to call on Jesus Christ because they haven't believed. They don't have the opportunity to believe because they haven't heard. And they haven't heard because no one's preached it, and no one's preaching it because they've either ignored the call or haven't listened to it. God's calling you and I as believers to go share the good news. He's encouraging you and I to, to share it. As we talked about even on Sunday night, the reality is your workplace and your community and your family, you are called to share the gospel. That's Paul's missionary heart coming through, and he's expressing it to you and I. Listen, we, are, we have uh, the privilege of having beautiful feet to share glad tidings of good news. You see, what was Paul doing in his own behalf? He was legitimizing his own preaching in the minds and hearts of the Jews in this chapter. But he's also exposing the progression of salvation and the vital part that you and I play. Never take for granted that salvation begins with a calling. God calling people to go and preach. And as they preach, the reality is then people get to hear. And as people get to hear, they can believe. And as they believe, then they can call upon the name of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I get to play a part in that progression of salvation for people. And what a privilege it is. And we ought to be grateful tonight that somewhere along the way, someone played a part in the progression of salvation for us. Someone preached it. Someone answered the call. Someone said, I'll go. Yeah, Lord, here am I. Send me. I'll, I'll answer that as a believer, as a proclaimer, a preacher, uh, as a Christian. I'll go. Someone answered that call. I love the reality as you think about it. 
as you and I have experienced it personally, then we are called upon to keep the progression going, to share that gospel. And if you think about it this way, it's one by one, one soul changed forever at a time from the calling of a preacher, a proclaimer, to the calling of a sinner upon Jesus Christ. Salvation is for all. Great verse, great truth that Paul uh, kind of brings to a conclusion, that section. As we look at verse number 16 and following now, he kind of changes focus a little bit, and he kind of puts it directly back on Israel. And boy, this is some, some uh, really poignant, very straightforward addressing of Israel, and it is a springboard, a predecessor to Paul presenting God's present dealing with Israel in the following chapter. Look at verse 16, if you will, with me. Let's read down through the rest of the chapter. Uh, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Now that is in answer to what he just shared. See, there's some of Israel that there's been preachers sent. The prophets have come. Jesus Christ went. John the Baptist was there. And he says, listen, the preachers, uh, they answered the call. They preached. And Israel even heard it to some degree. But they did not believe. And they did not call. And that's where he says, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their, uh, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. Verse 19, but I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Verse 20, but Isaiah, Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. Verse 21, but to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Man, what strong statement, isn't it? Look at verses 16, if you will. There's a great truth that we're confronted with here. Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 1. It's Isaiah 53, a great chapter concerning the prophecy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And Isaiah starts it with the question that Paul quotes here in verse 16. Who hath believed our report? Isaiah says, listen, God, who hath believed our report? And then he goes on to talking about the Messiah and Jesus Christ. First thing I want you to see this and never forget this. Here is Isaiah and Paul. They're they're sharing the same sentiment. So Paul is hundreds of years later, if not thousands of years later, he's sharing the same sentiment as Isaiah. And he's saying this, you know what? There are, there are people, and they're both speaking of the Messiah, both Isaiah and Isaiah 53, and here now Paul in Romans chapter 10, and, and, and he's certainly referring to Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, the disciples that have been preaching who Jesus Christ is, and as they're both doing that, both are torn up over the reality that people aren't believing the Word of God. Who hath believed our report? In the next question, Isaiah 53, verse 1, he says, listen, who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? Have they not seen it? Has it not been, have they not been exposed? Have they not heard the message? Has, has a preacher not come to them and shared it? And I'll tell you, there's a great truth to this that we can glean. You realize this, and, and never forget this fact that the Scriptures bear out. We must understand that there were people in Isaiah's day that chose not to believe the Word of God given through the prophets. 
There were people in Paul's day who, who chose not to believe the word of God that was given through Jesus Christ himself. The disciples, the missionaries like Paul, the pastors like Timothy and others, they just decided not to believe it. And my friend, there will be people today that refuse to believe the word of God given them through a track, the witness of a Christian, or the preaching of God's word. There will be people. Isaiah's back here thousands of years earlier, and he's lamenting the fact that people aren't obeying God's word. Why, why aren't they believing the report? Why aren't they listening to our prophecy and believing in the Messiah that's going to come? Isaiah 53 does a great presentation of the reality that Jesus Christ is going to die and suffer for many, isn't it? I mean, you read it, it's just, it hits you like that. Paul's saying in Romans chapter 10, you know what he's, he's, he's lamenting? Same thing Isaiah was. You know what's sad? You and I can give the clearest presentation of the gospel, and there could be people who don't believe the word of God. It's of every generation and a people all the time. In man's free will to choose, there will be people who choose not to believe no matter how much God shows himself strong or reveals himself or how little. The fact is, there are going to be some people who choose not to believe. Now be careful because a liberal response a non-biblical response to that is this. Well, wait a second. If there's people not believing, then we've got to change our methods. We've got to change the means of reaching them. We've even got to change the gospel. We've got to change things so that more people believe. May I tell you what that is? Anathema. Don't have anything to do with it. It's not biblical. Understand, was Isaiah a man of God? Yes. Was he blessed of God? Yes. Was the hand of God upon Isaiah? Certainly. Do you realize there's people who didn't believe Isaiah? Didn't obey him. He gave. He, I mean, he challenged them about trusting God and believing in Jesus Christ. They didn't listen. What about Paul? Paul was a man of God. Paul was preaching greatly. The power of God was upon him, and yet there was people who didn't believe the word of God when Paul preached it. May I tell you today? You'll have a coworker. You'll have a family member. You'll have neighbors that you present the word of God to, and they will choose not to believe. Doesn't change the power of the gospel. It's just their foolishness. So Paul is, he's saying, listen, just because there's some in, in Israel who don't believe doesn't make it not true. Just because there's some who choose not to doesn't mean that the individual Jew, Jew can't believe for himself. He's making a valid point and associating himself even with Isaiah in this. Secondly, here's a great truth Paul is bringing to the forefront too. Paul's helping to point out that this gospel he is presenting is not some new thing. He's helping the Jews saying, listen, Jesus Christ, who you just crucified, didn't just come along and introduce something brand new. No, no, no. This is what the, test, the Old Testament has talked about. This is rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. This isn't something new and brand new kind of theology. No. Listen, Jesus Christ coming and shedding his blood for the sins of mankind was talked about in Genesis. This is the teaching, the message of the entire Word of God. And Paul is, 
hitting that home and emphasizing this reality. And I think there's a great passage in the New Testament that confirms it. In Acts chapter 8, you remember there, Philip just got done with a great revival, and the Spirit catches him away, and he's taken there, and uh, he sees the eunuch in his chariot, and he sees that the eunuch is reading the Bible, the Scriptures, an old scroll, as you can imagine. And he comes along, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? You remember that? And he asks him, what do, you, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how in the world am I supposed to understand this unless somebody explains it to me? And as you begin to understand that passage, what is he reading? He's reading Isaiah chapter 53. You know what's speaking of there? He'll be led like a lamb to the slaughter and so forth. Verses 7 and 8, I think, is the one quoted in Acts chapter 8. And, and he's reading about Isaiah chapter 53. Now, don't miss it, okay? Isaiah 53, written by Isaiah hundreds, thousands of years before. You know what Philip did? Philip came into the chariot. And as that man said, how am I supposed to understand it unless somebody explains it to me? Verse 35 of Acts chapter 8 says this, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Israel? No. Preached unto him the law? No. Isaiah 53, what did he preach unto him? Jesus. Jesus. See, the Jews want to look at Paul and say, oh, this is something new. You're, you're, you're deviating from the law and what God wants. No, no, no. They missed out on what Jehovah was preaching since Genesis. The Messiah. That faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, as he'll say so in the next verse. Faith in Jesus Christ. It's a great passage where we see Philip respond. And yet, here's the reality of what Paul is speaking of. You know what? Verse number 16 says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? You know what's amazing? The Jewish rabbis, scholars, as they refer to them, I use that term loosely, but as they refer to them, you know how they explain away Isaiah 53? They try to say that that is applying to the nation of Israel has nothing to do with the Messiah. It's not speaking about a, a Messiah coming and giving himself and so forth. And they just try to explain it all the way. May I tell you what that just simply is? That is called stubborn disobedience. It is revealed to them of who it is. Isaiah has made it very crystal clear. Here is peace. Here's the gospel of peace. It is the message of Jesus Christ. And yet they have refused to obey. And really, verse 21 is alluding to that. I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people, and yet they have rejected it. You see, um, the fact is, with Israel here, they were willingly disobedient. They rejected the truth. And now in verses 17 through 19, Paul checks the boxes of the arguments that he anticipates from the Jews. He is literally removing every doubt. He is uh, uh, arguing every argument, and he is answering every question. What would some of these be? Well, they, they would argue, well, we never heard this. We, we didn't know what to believe. How could we believe it? We didn't know this. And, and uh, he goes little by little and answers each one of these questions that he anticipates from the Jews. You see, in verse 17, we have a, a much reiterated and much repeated teaching of Paul in this letter. Faith is the means of salvation. Faith cometh by hearing and then hearing by the, the truth of the word of God. 
You see it there. So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The word, word, the Greek word that's translated as word here is literally the word uh, that is spoken word. So not as much the written word, it's the preaching of a preacher. It's the, the sharing of the word of God uh, verbally. So Paul establishes the obvious connection between the preaching of the word and the faith that it should elicit into those that hear. May I just tell you right now, as Paul's anticipating the Jews and their questions, their arguments, their doubts, Paul's getting to what we would say is the heart of the matter, okay? And uh, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, right? Or as I like to say, the, the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And that's literally what Paul's driving at here with the Jew. Uh, he's trying to anticipate and argue every single thing that they would say, oh, but that's unfair because we didn't know, and, and we didn't know this. We didn't hear this. And you know, No, you've had it since the beginning, and as Isaiah said, and so forth. Notice this presentation here that, that Paul gives us. In these verses, it's very poignant, and he presents to us the reality of personal faith. The reality of personal faith. And here's where he's driving it home with the Jew. It's not corporate. It's not because of their heritage. It's not anything like that. No, this is personal faith. The first step of personal faith, what would we say it is? Well, he hits it on this passage. It's hearing, right? You've got to hear it. What is the hearing? How would we define that? And here's one of the failures of the Jews. Here's where they have failed. Notice it. The description is it involves both the presentation, that's the responsibility of the preacher, the calling of God to someone to go tell, but also the openness to the truth of God. The openness to the, the gospel that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. A couple verses, Jesus Christ made that very clear. I, in Matthew chapter 13, this is what he says in verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. You're listening. You're open to that presentation. Jesus Christ says, listen, I am the lamb. I am the door. He presents himself, and he praises those who listen for hearing, for being open to that presentation. A few verses later in the same chapter, he says this, but he that received, and given this, uh, this parable, he that received seed into the good ground, notice it, is he that heareth the word and understandeth it which also then beareth fruit. Isn't that amazing? There's a great connection to receiving the Word and then something being a product of that reception of the Word, as it is in our lives. Notice that, bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's see this. Paul writes of a letter later to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. If you'll turn with me there, let's look at verse number 13. A great statement Paul gives those here at the church at Thessalonica, those who have believed. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 13. Paul writing, he says this, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye receive the word of God, which ye heard of us. So he's given us a progression here. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. And then he says, listen, when you hear it and you believe it and you accept it, notice what it does which effectually worketh also in you that believe. And it's a great little equation that Paul presents to the church at Thessalonica. And here's exactly where the Jews failed. And Paul is pointing it out. says, listen, as a nation you failed, as individuals you failed to hear the word of God. 
hear this invitation. And then he goes on in this same verse back here in, in Romans, and he says, okay, uh, as he explains, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As I hear it, as I'm presented with the word of God, and I'm open to it, the next step is obviously the fact that I have to receive it. That's what he alludes to in these passages, what Christ alluded to in Matthew 13. So I hear it, and then I receive it. As Paul said, the believers in Thessalonica there, you receive it. What, what is that? Well, really, that's a mental assent that it's true. Yeah, you speak the truth. That's what he alluded. You speak the truth. Okay, what you say sounds right. It, 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 it sounds dead on. I accept that as being right. I, I, I make that mental assent to the reality that it is true. We might say it this way. A man must agree that the message is true, that the facts of the case are correct and valid as they have been presented. Listen, okay, here's the point. Paul's making a great point. He's saying this. Okay, first of all, you've got to hear it. Now, Paul, what, 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 how would you share salvation with someone? Well, the first thing you say is, listen, first of all, we have to realize that we are all sinners. So a person has to come to the understanding. They have to make the mental assent. First of all, they have to hear you say, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So they have to hear the word of God. You know what every person has to do? Yes, I am a sinner. You're right. I have to receive that truth and say, yeah, mental assent. Yeah, that's true. The facts of the case, they apply to me. I am a sinner. I have come short of the glory of God. You're right. Then they have to make mental assent to this reality. But the wages of sin is death. They have to say, yeah, that's true. I have to, that, those are the facts of the case, and I have to admit that that's true. It's mental assent. It's saying, yes, that is the truth. May I tell you, every person has to come to that. See, some of us have witnessed of somebody like, you know, I, can, I, I hear you, I hear you that everybody's a sinner, but I, you know, boy, I, I, but, but I think I'm good enough to get to heaven. But, but I think I've done enough. I, I, I've done more good than bad. May I tell you, that person has not received the truth. They may have heard you say, there's none righteous, no, not one, for all have fallen short of the glory of God, but they're not accepting it. They're not receiving that. Now, let's see the other side of the coin just because someone says yep you're right i'm a sinner that doesn't save them receiving the word in the sense of mental assent does not save them in fact one of the greatest passages towards that is james chapter 2 and verse number 7 right what does he say thou believest that there is a god thou doest well the devils also believe and tremble they just just saying those are the facts the facts are correct that's fantastic that's good but that's not salvation. See, we could use an analogy, and, and we, I think it is appropriate. See, because mere agreement does not lead to the necessary action. We'll see that there is a step in a sense of salvation that some people miss. There's many a person who knows something to be true, but that does not change their behavior to match the knowledge. Now, i give you a simple illustration. You could throw anything in here, Okay. Um, uh, I'll make fun of myself, okay? That way you can laugh at something, you can laugh at me, okay? So you're well aware that I like Dr. Pepper, okay? So Dr. Pepper, and if you don't like it, get used to it. It's heavenly nectar. It'll be in heaven everywhere, okay? So um, I like Dr. Pepper, right? So multitude of people, beginning number one with my mom, have told me, don't drink Dr. Pepper, it's bad for you. Okay, all those chemicals and everything else, don't drink Dr. Pepper. And people have even kindly sent me articles, scientific articles 
saying, look, you've got to read this. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> read this. You're killing you. you know, they, they've sent these things and so forth. Okay, so great, fantastic. You know, yes, it does have bad effects. So I said, okay, so I'll drink diet, Dr. Pepper. Then they're like, diet's worse than regular. It's like, boy, you're just killing me every which way you can. And they said, you know, and, okay, okay, I get it. I believe it. You're right. But I still drink the diet, Dr. Pepper. May I tell you, the reality is this. I'll tell you, yeah, it's bad. But do I believe it? Well, I don't biblically believe it. You take a person who smokes. You ever talk to somebody who smokes? You say, listen, do you realize what you're doing to your body? Do you realize what you're breathing in in your lungs? You're killing yourself and so forth? Yeah, 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 I know, I know. I need to stop. I'm killing my body. I'm hurting this. I'm doing this. I get it. I'm doing that. But they don't stop. Now, I tell you, can I tell you, do they know the truths and the facts? They know it. But they don't biblically believe it. What is faith and belief? Faith and belief is taking the very facts, the truth, and you are convinced to such a degree, you submit and surrender to it. That's faith and belief. Now, I want to submit to you that there are many people who say, yeah, I know there's a God. Yeah, I know there's a Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. But I tell you, my friend, they may know all the facts, but until they surrender to it, they aren't saved. They have to personally surrender to that truth. You know what Paul's telling the Jews? See, salvation, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You have to hear it. You have to receive it. Yes, that's true. The facts in the case are true. And then number three, you see it on your outline, and we'll develop it more next week. Uh, the final step is surrendering. Surrendering. It's a yielding and submission to that truth and the God of that truth. Crucial to salvation, and I would put before you, the Jews failed on every point. And that's Paul's point. He gets to chapter number 11, and he's built such a case, he anticipates the next question. Hath God cast away the Jews forever? <laughs> Is God done with them because they have failed in salvation and hearing and believing and receiving and surrendering? Because they have failed, and that's what he's presenting here in Romans chapter 10. Time will not permit us to continue. We'll pick up there next week, and we'll see the rest of chapter 10 and get right into chapter number 11.